Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, Gospel according to Luke. Let us read together the first 13 verses. Luke 4, 1 through 13, we will speak today about the temptation of Jesus. Luke 4, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For forty days being tempted by the devil... And he ate nothing during those days. And when they ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, all it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And that is the reading of God's word. Let us pray once again. Father, we commit to you the reading, the public reading of the scriptures, and also the teaching from the scriptures. We do these things because you have commanded them specifically in your word, following your commandment. Now we pray for the Holy Spirit who inspired and breathed out the scriptures, who gave the instructions for the church through the apostles, Father, we pray that you bless your word. And blessing to us means that Jesus may be seen, exalted, magnified, believed, worshipped. If there's anyone here that does not know him, that you may grant to Hello? Now it's working. Good. If I did not know how much you loved me and how much you enjoy taunting and teasing me, I would believe that. <laughs> I believe you, Victor. You're a man of integrity. But yes, you love to tease me. The first time I ever stepped foot into the beautiful country of France, there was no Eiffel Tower, no Louvre Museum, no 
nothing, nothing of the things you go to see in France. I was just traveling this lonely, kind of desertic or desert road, crossed through a gate, and all of a sudden the driver says, oh, we're in France. We were heading to a supermarket. Oh, wonderful. I can say I visited France. And that reminded me the way temptation works. You're minding your business. You're not doing anything. You're just driving to work or answering an email. And something happens. And 30 or 40 seconds later, you are engaged into vigorous sinning. You do not even know how does that happen. You've been married for more than a week. You know exactly also how to sin at home easily. If you have children at home or adults, you also know how easily it is to pass from leading a normal life to sinning without even noticing it, how it happened. Well, today we're considering Jesus' temptation. Temptation is subtle many times, imperceptible, invisible, and the line that divides temptation from sin after almost 43 years professing the faith and reading the Bible, I have not been able to determine it. I don't know when I cross from being tempted to sinning. We know temptation is not sin for one theological reason. Jesus was tempted in all things, and yet, as Tony read, he remained sinless. So obviously, being tempted and sinning is not the same, but this fellow talking to you here hasn't found out exactly when to stop and head back because I didn't cross that border. When I cross the border, I'm already in the new country of sin, and I did not even notice how I did it. Jesus was tempted. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, has a great illustration about the difference between Jesus being tempted and us being tempted. Spurgeon said, when, when Jesus was tempted, the devil was throwing fiery darts into a reservoir of water. When we are being tempted, the fiery darts come into a reservoir of fuel. Big difference. And yet, Jesus was tempted in all things, but he didn't sin. It doesn't mean he didn't feel the intensity of temptation. It doesn't mean he didn't feel the pressure of temptation. It means that he did not yield into temptation. The Son of Man is a title Luke uses 24 times. Well, two commentators I read said 24 times. One says 26 times, so I don't know. I didn't count them. But more than 20 times Luke refers to Jesus as the Son of Man. That Son of Man, Daniel and Ezekiel saw that glorious, majestic, ruling king, but also that identification that Jesus had with us, those he came to save, the children of men. That's why in Luke's genealogy, it goes all the way to Adam. Notice that Matthew starts with David. But Luke goes all the way back to Adam. Because Jesus came to redeem the children of Adam. 
Now, interesting that this temptation is presented to us in this chapter after Jesus spending 40 days fasting in the wilderness. The name 40 in the Bible is interesting. You have 40 days of a flood. You have Moses 40 days in the desert after he killed the Egyptian. Then you have Moses 40 days at Mount Sinai receiving the law. Then you have Israel with Moses 40 years in the desert. Then you have David who reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And you have Elijah who went to the desert for 40 days too before he came back to restore the worship of God. Why? Because the number 40 is used in the Bible to introduce a great restoration, a new phase, a new period. And here is the Son of Man, the one Moses proclaimed, the one who was Noah's hope, the one who came to redeem Israel. Forty days also in the wilderness before starting his public ministry. This passage is not a moralizing passage. I believe that it's not the first time that you read about the three temptations Jesus had in the desert. I believe that many children here have read in their Sunday school and been taught about the temptation of Jesus. And sadly, many times we are taught about that temptation to teach us the technique of resisting sin. The Bible is not a book about techniques. This is not a moralizing passage. This is not for us to learn how to resist temptation. This is a passage that is pitching Jesus with Adam. Luke, the writer of this gospel, learned theology with a master theologian, Paul, because Luke was a biographer and recorder and traveling companion of Paul to the very point of his death. And Paul pitched Jesus and presented Jesus as the second Adam. And here is Luke introducing the Redeemer, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who came to undo the works of the first father whose genealogy goes all the way to Adam. And here is Luke presenting Jesus against Adam in his temptation. This is not a sermon so that we learn how to resist the devil tomorrow at work. This is a sermon about Jesus the Savior, the King of Kings, the Redeemer, the one who came to undo the works of, his, of our father Adam. And there are three points in this passage. First temptation is doubt God in affliction. The second point is bypass God and expedite your mission. The third point is test God instead of trusting him. This first temptation about God, doubt God in your affliction. What is it? He was hungry. Forty days fasting in the wilderness. And the devil comes with that question. If then clause. For those of you who like math or computer science. If you are the son of God. Then tell this stone to convert into bread. And eat. Is that the first time that the devil uses the if-then clause? So God has told you, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. 
It is the same old serpent. It is the same devil tempting Jesus. Now, Jesus was coming from a 40-day fast. That is not an impossible feat, by the way. We presume that he was drinking water, but he was 40 days without eating. It is said of Socrates that his students would have to fast 40 days before being considered to be one of his students. And there have been recordings of people who have fasted even more than 40 days. So this is not a medically impossible feat, but nonetheless, it's 40 days of fasting in the wilderness day and night. If you've gone camping, but not the camping we do in Cornerstone here with Shorty. No, 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 no. The real camping, the one you have to bring your steak and your things and really be out there. And who knows if you'll shower. He knows if you'll get cleaned. No, nobody knows. Camping, when the night comes and it's pitch black, you can hear even a, a cat, meow, and you think it's a lion. So imagine the Lord spending 40 days dark in the wilderness, hungry, fasting. So he was hungry, weak, and lonely. He was very vulnerable at that point. This is not Superman with his glasses and Clark Kent suit, as I have told you many times. This is the Son of God in a very vulnerable, easy-to-be-tempted position as he was lonely, weak, and hungry. Interesting that Luke is pitching him against Adam. When Adam was tempted, he was well-fed in a beautiful garden and with his wife. So Jesus played with a real bad hand. You guys who are Latinos, you play dominoes, right? And you know the rule that if you get five doubles, you say, hey, I got five doubles, we need to reshuffle again. This is a real bad hand. Well, Jesus got a hand of seven doubles, and he had to play it. And sometimes we complain that some people are born with advantages. Well, yes, some people are born with advantages, and they play life with a better deck of cards. I was watching with my wife a movie the other day with Kevin Costner when he was really young in the 80s. And I said to my wife, yes, of course. I mean, if you're that handsome, of course you're Kevin Costner. You can be an artist. You can be famous. Guys like me had to study engineering to make a living because I was not born that way. Well, yes, some people are born with advantages. So what? That's life. It is life. Jesus played with a much harder hand than Adam. His hunger exposed his true humanity. The second Adam was fully human. R.C. Sproul once was asked if Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, and R.C. Sproul said in his typical wit, I prefer to say fully man. I don't like the percentage. I like to say he was completely a man. And we have this idea, perhaps it comes from some Lutheran theology and the ubiquity of the human nature of Christ. Who knows where it comes from? That perhaps the human nature of Christ influenced, or the divine nature of Christ influenced his divine nature, or his human nature. And yeah, Jesus was a man, but he was not really like us. And Luke is saying, no, no, no. He was really like us. He was hungry. The hypostatic union of Jesus' nature it was something that was debated for centuries in the early church. 
How can a person be both God and man? Is this two personalities? No, it's one person with two natures, inextricably, indivisibly united. But you cannot remove one nature from the other. We are soul and body, but our souls separate from our bodies at death. No, Jesus' natures, his human nature and his divine nature are inextricably united throughout all eternity in this hypostasis, in this hypostatic, indivisible unit in, each, in which each nature remains with its own qualities and characteristics and essential nature. But at the same time that they are separate, they are united in one person. I don't understand that if I did, I were in heaven, or I would have a much higher salary than the one cornerstone pays me. So, no, I don't have any, by the way, but just in case. <laughs> Jesus quoted the Torah at the temptation of, if you are the Son of God, take one of these stones, make it bread, convert it to bread, and eat. Jesus says, no, man shall not eat or live by bread alone. Elsewhere, he said, the life of a person does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We, we see Facebook, right? And we see all these ads on Facebook. 50. If I were going to buy a boat, I would buy a 50-foot boat. But then they are like a million dollars. Let's forget it. Then I'm not going to have a boat. I'd rather go rent one for 300 bucks one day whenever I want to use one. But the point is, we see these ads, we see these people smiling, people in a treadmill smiling. Who smiles on a treadmill? Only for an ad, <laughs> please. But we see this grandiose, grandiose life of glamour and joy, and we want it, and we need more money for that. And Jesus says, no, even if you're rich, life does not consist of your possessions. Mike Tyson, of all people, said, if you think money makes you happy, you've never had money. Very true. Money doesn't make you happy. Man shall not live by bread alone, Jesus said, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I'd rather be hungry in obedience, said Jesus. I'd rather be hungry walking with the Lord than satisfied away from Him. I'd rather spend one day as a column, as a pillar in the house of my God than a thousand in the house of pleasure. Only a soul that is filled with the Spirit and that knows Christ can say that indeed, not in abundance, but in need. Keep me hungry if my hunger is what's going to keep me faithful. That's what Jesus told Satan. Second temptation. Hey, bypass God in your mission. Expedite your mission. Just take a little detour that I have for you. Verse 5. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. If you worship me, these kingdoms and their glory have been given to me. Just worship me, and I'll give them to you. And Jesus said, no. You shall worship 
the Lord your God only. Only him you shall serve. You have to say something about this second temptation. Came to mind. The devil is daring. He took a shot at Jesus. You remember that story of when Michael Jordan retired and the Bulls hired this younger kid who was very talented. And he said, well, I'm the new guy in town. Where's Jordan? I can beat Jordan if he wanted to. And Jordan came out of his retirement to play one-on-one with a guy and destroyed him and taught him a lesson. And he says, as an old man now, I learned my lesson. Well, the devil took a shot at Jesus. He attempted to have the Son of God worship him. That's what he wanted in heaven. I shall ascend into the heights of the north, and I will establish my throne, and I will be like the Most High. I want angels to worship me. I want to be the center of the universe. And he offered the same to Adam and Eve in the garden. You can be like God, knowing good and evil. And now he goes to Jesus and says, Worship me, and I'll give you all the glory of the kingdoms of the world. What a daring being. And also how powerful he is. He took Jesus up where the text doesn't say. But he took him to a place where there was a pinnacle of a mountain. And there are not a lot of high mountains in Israel, but who knows? It was a vision. Whatever it was, we're not given the details. But he took Jesus up at a place where he could show him all the kingdoms of the world. And I love the original in a moment. Literal stigma chronu. Stigma, same stigma we have in English. It's a dot, a point. When you have a stigma, you have a little spot, a dot. Well, in a In a dot of time, and if you like relativity and gravity and speed of light and time all of a sudden stops, and fine, I'm not going to go there. But anyways, at a point where time stopped, Satan showed Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world. He says, that glory is mine. It has been given to me. I'll pass it to you if you worship me. The devil knew, of course, that he had delegated authority. He had been given to him. Who gave it to him? Adam in the garden. Permitted and allowed by God. But he is the prince of the power of the earth. Ephesians 2 says. The spirit who now rules in the sons of disobedience. First John says in 1 John 5.19... The whole world is under the evil one. So he knew what he was talking about. Jesus is the strong man who comes to bind the strong man. He is the stronger and to plunder his possessions. And the whole issue with the church and the kingdom of God is that. Here is the church conquering and the advances of the church, the gates of hell, will not be able to stop them. That doesn't make me a post-millennialist, but it makes me what the Bible teaches. This little seed of the gospel will grow into a huge tree where even the birds of the earth come to take its rest and shadow in it. Yes, because the gospel has permeated all of society, even though it started as a little seed. And Jesus, who is the one who's plundering the strong man's house, is offered 
a shortcut. Why a shortcut? Because according to Scripture, it is only after the humiliation of the cross that Jesus would receive the name that is above all names. That's what Philippians 2, 5 says and following. When he humbled himself to the point of death and death on a cross, he receives the name that is above all names. And at the name of Jesus, every tree bows and every tongue confesses that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is only after the humiliation of the cross that the shout of Revelation eleven fifteen appears. Now the kingdoms of this world belong to our God and to his Christ, for he shall reign forever and ever. That is Handel's Messiah's theme. That's the statement of 1 Corinthians 2.8 that Paul says if the rulers of this world, demons and humans and whomever confabulated to crucify the Son of God, if they would have known it, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. The cross was the gate and the threshold to this point of exaltation when the Son of God receives all glory and power and dominion forever and ever. And here's the devil saying, huh, take a shortcut. Why a cross? Why suffer being made a curse on a tree on behalf of those you came to save? Why suffer the wrath and the curse of God? Worship me and you will receive the glory of the kingdoms. And Jesus says, no. Only the Lord your God you shall worship. Only the Lord your God you shall serve. Let me just say a note. That is the deceitfulness of sin. It's a shortcut to happiness. It's a shortcut to satisfy the longings of your heart. I have this theory. I think I'm right. Sex, alcohol, drugs... The socialite life is good. Because if it were not, not so many people would consume it. It's good. But it's a shortcut that ends up in bitterness and death and tragedy. And that's what the devil offered the Son of God. His answer was, no, only God I would serve. Remember Daniel's friends in Babylon? Big statue was built. You kids have heard that in Sunday school. And they are told you have to worship the statue. What did they say? No, we won't. Because the God we serve is able to deliver us from your hands and from the fiery furnace. However, if he doesn't, because he doesn't have to, know this, O king, we will not worship your statue. We only worship God. And that's the name of the game, uncompromising obedience. What's the price of your conscience? Or mine, for the matter. What's the price? How much do we have to pay for it? In fame? Or in favor with people? Or in pleasure? Or in money? Do we laugh at the joke? Off color? 
that the boss made because I don't want to not be in favor with the boss? Or do I keep my face straight? What happened? You don't like the joke? I don't like off-color jokes. Well, why? I'm a Christian. No, no, I will not say that because then the company has a policy that I cannot say that I'm a Christian. Oh, but you can say that you're gay and you're transgender, but not that you're a Christian. Well, yeah, that's for them, yes, but I... What's the price of your conscience? This is what Jesus did. <laughs> you shall worship and serve the Lord your God only. Thirdly, test God instead of trusting him. That was a third temptation in verses 9 through 12. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down because it is written. He will send his angels to guard you. He will not even let your foot strike a stone and hurt you. So if you're the son of God, just uh, throw yourself. Let's see it. And that was test God instead of trusting him. From the mountaintop to the temple pinnacle. Sounds almost poetical. From offering the glory, fame, and reputation and honor of the world... Oh, that doesn't work? Let me offer you then a religious emotional hype. Let me send you to the pinnacle of the temple. Show that you're the son of God. You either take a sizable chunk of worldly glory or you take some religious ecstatic hype, though devoid of truth. And that is the trick of the devil. A lot of people see open doors. God, open the door. Why? Because that job is offering you more money? God opened the door for ministry. Why? Because that church is larger, bigger, and more beautiful? <laughs> where do you see the open doors? There are no open doors where there's no truth attached to it. Ask for a sign. Test God. It's funny that the devil quoted Psalm 91. You realize that. When you read that, it's a, quote from, it's a quote from Psalm 91. Now, many people read Psalm 91 believing that it's about them. <laughs> it's not. Psalm 91 is about Jesus. The devil knew that. Luke says, the entire Bible, beginning with Moses and going through all the prophets and the poetry and the history books, it's all to bear witness of Jesus. So when you read your Bible... Please get yourself out of the picture. Put your Savior, see him, and then you get on his piggyback if you want. Get a piggyback ride on Jesus. But don't even imagine that those promises are for you. That's why I honestly, God bless them. They do it with a good heart. But I loathe those recipes for here's a verse for every occasion. Here's a verse for when you're sad. Here's a verse for when you're happy. Here's a <laughs> the Bible was not written as a manual for occasions. Or a book of techniques. Let's be like such and such. I don't, I don't need to be like anyone. I need to follow Jesus. The book is about him. The devil knew that. And he quotes Psalm 91 and applies to Jesus. And Jesus' answer was that he did not test God. But he trusted God. It is said, Thou shalt not test or tempt the Lord your God. Was he quoting scripture? Was he paraphrasing scripture? Was he quoting a saying from the synagogue? 
don't tempt, don't test God. How many of us have not asked for signs? <laughs> I have. God, but show me something, please. Show me something. Show me that you're there. Silence. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't hear silence. I hear, read your Bible. That's my sign. You'll find Jesus there. Emotional Christianity. That's where we are. And it's so hard to fight it because we are emotional beings. Living by the whims of emotions. Living by the hype of emotions. I need to find a church that has a black platform. No problem with having a black background in the platform. No problem if one day we have a big orchestra with music. No problem with that. I love it. But that's not Christianity. <laughs> if the music is great, awesome. I'm happy that our music keeps getting better every time. Great. I enjoy it. But that's not Christianity. It's not the music. It's not the ministries of the church. It's not what we have for children. It's not what we have for young people. It's not what we have for couples, for the divorce, for the aging. That's not church. <laughs> it's not about feelings. It's about principled obedience. It is about living by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's what Christianity is about. I will believe without seeing. Because Jesus says, blessed are those who believed without seeing. I will obey even though I don't get it. Because there is a blessing to the one who built his house upon the rock. And building the house upon the rock is building it on Jesus and his words. Anyone who hears my word and does them is the wise man or woman who built their house upon the rock. Conclusion. This passage is about Adam versus Jesus. To Adam, the devil said, so God has told you. God has told you, do not eat from every tree of the garden? Actually, God said, eat <laughs> of every tree of the garden except one. Oh, he told you not to eat? Here, eat. Try this one. And Adam ate. To Jesus, the same serpent said, if you're the son of God, Aren't you hungry? Turn the rock into bread and eat. And Adam ate, but Jesus relied on the word of God. To Adam, he, the serpent said, you will know, you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. Eat, take of the fruit. To Jesus, he said, I will give you the glory of this world. Just worship me. Adam went after carnal glory. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to stay with Eve. And he lost it all. Jesus said, no, I only want the glory that comes from God. I don't care the price I have to pay. Only the glory that comes from God. Let the glory of the world perish. I only want the smile of my Father in heaven. Adam was offered to be made fruitful. 
God really told you that he will make you fruitful and multiply you and that he will give you dominion over the whole world? But he doesn't want to give you this fruit that will make you like him, knowing good and evil? And Adam ate. The second Adam chose to trust God instead of testing him. Because the way temptation comes is that. Really. Do you really think that what those old people tell you in church is the truth? Have you asked them how they lived when they were young? And now because they are old, they want to moralize you? Been there, done that. I'm old, but I was young. So my mother used to tell me, when you were going, I had come and gone five times. So the old people around you, including your parents, have come and gone 10 or 15 times already. Nothing new under the sun. Temptation is relentless. You saw how the text ends? And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now there's another word, kairos. Before it was in a moment of time, at a point of the chronological succession of time. He stopped it, showed him the glory of the world. Now Luke says, yes, now he stopped for a while until a better kairos. Until a better opportunity to go back and tempt at a point of vulnerability. The devil is a roaring lion, beloved. That's what 1 Peter 5, 8. Now, perhaps there's something you don't know about lions, and I thank my friend Otto Sanchez. Whenever I talk to him, I pull out my phone because I always learn something talking to him. And we're just chit-chatting or kidding, but always something comes. He says, you know about lions? I don't even know what we were talking about. He says, you know about lions? I don't know what about lions. Well, they are not as fast as cheetahs. They can go up to 50 miles an hour, but for a short span. So you know how the, do they attack? They study their victims for hours. They just stand there, and if you see Discovery Channel, you see it. They just stand there hours observing. If there's 100, 200 animals there, they're not going to attack the 200. They can't. They know that. But they study five hours, and they spot one that kind of has a limp, goes lower, stays behind, distracted perhaps, and even misses when the flock moves. And that one decides to stay alone. And there's a lioness checking for hours. And when it's the opportune time, they dash and take their 50 miles an hour and optimize them and grab their victim. You know how fast they ate them? They eat them? Takes them about 15 one five minutes, and they get satisfied. There's young people here, and children, and old people too. You know that that's what happens with temptation. It takes time to develop. Adulteries don't happen overnight. I don't one day decide to leave for work. And come in the evening, mom, I committed adultery with one of the ladies at work. That doesn't happen that way. 
It takes time. Because temptation studies you. Studies your vulnerability. And if you're a young person, it goes the same to you. You don't come home and say, Mom, I'm pregnant. Why? It just happened. No. If you're a boy, the same. It studies you and grabs you. And you're the affection of that temptation while it is studying you. But it eats you in 15 minutes, but your life is destroyed forever. Because the animal that it's eaten is dead and remains dead. I saw the testimony of a Christian woman confessing her adultery in the very same church she committed it. It's a beautiful testimony. It is a grandiose testimony of the gospel. She is facing her former father-in-law, her former husband, her children, her church, confessing her adultery. But the man already married or remarried moved on. Everybody moved on. But now she has to die. And she says, I was deceived by the attraction of sin. And some of you children and young people, it's going to come attractive and beautiful and it will destroy your lives forever. Even if you repent, even if you come out of it, it will take you forever because sin is relentless and the guilt and the consequences remain. That's why the Bible says, flee, run from temptation. And I'm not scaring you. I'm just telling you, this is what Jesus faced. Now, our victory against temptation is not in ourselves. <laughs> that's what Jesus, that's what Luke is saying. Jesus triumphed. Jesus came to undo the works of Adam. Even if you have fallen, your Savior, your conqueror, your captain won. Get behind him. Your team won. He overcame every snare of the devil. He overcame every temptation. He remained without sin, went to the cross as the spotless Lamb of God, and that's why when he died, he could take the sin of the world. So trust him. Remain united to him. Because united to him, the devil has no power over you or me. That's what 1 John 5.18 says. We know that whoever is born of God does not continue sinning. But whomever has been born of God, God guards him, guards him or guards himself, and the wicked one cannot touch him. Don't walk through life fearing the devil. Walk through life fearing God and trusting God and serving God and worshiping God. When facing the fork on the road that temptation affords. And you will face it. <laughs> you will see that fork there. Taking God's side will not guarantee you happiness. Let me warn you. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not sow and harvest. Taking God's side doesn't guarantee a thing. Except <laughs> that you will land on the right side. You will land on the, right, on the side of life. Jesus is that life. Jesus is that door. Take 
the narrow door. Take the narrow road that leads to life. Few find it. Father, bless your word. And uh, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you because he conquered. He won. He did not succumb to temptation. He remained the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And in him, we are saved. In him, we are spotless. In him, we conquered. Bless your people. And if there is anyone this morning dealing with the sequels, the scars, the consequences of sin and temptation, heal them in your son. Raise them. And if there's anyone facing temptation even today, deliver them from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one and lead us not into temptation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.